Hey everyone and happy Father's Day. Before we get started, want to let you know today's show is sponsored by premiumbarproducts.com, the one place you can go to get the dad's drinking bourbon Glen Karen glass. Just go ahead and go to premium bar products, click on the menu, you're going to scroll down, you're going to see DDB glass. That's where you can pick up our Glen, but you can also go customize and laser etch a whole bunch of glasses on your own right on the website at premiumbarproducts.com. You can also pick up bar tools all sorts of good stuff and this is going to be more for the smaller orders so if you want a bigger order make sure to reach out to me i will get you in touch with all the good folks over at premiumbarproducts.com and you could do more of a wholesale thing with them as well also guys want to let you know today's show is sponsored by castcartel.com changing the industry standard as to how you get your alcohol it is totally a convenient play you want to sit at home on the comfort of your own couch or in the comfort of your own bourbon room and get some stuff Stuff shipped to your house if you want whiskey you want bourbon scotch vodka gin amaro rum armagnac just sit at home go to castcartel.com get it sent to you they are like the amazon of the spirits industry they hook you up with retailers that use their site to send you stuff so obviously the more allocated stuff is going to cost more but your daily drinkers they're priced right and you can conveniently get them shipped to your house go to castcartel.com to find out more follow them on instagram at Cast Cartel. They're always doing awesome giveaways to their followers. Now, here's the show. Hey, Edwards. Happy Father's Day. Well, thanks. Happy Father's Day to you, Big Cat. Thanks. Some days things just pan out right. I recently dipped my head in the door at uh, Radnor Wine and Spirits, checked in with Walt, happened to uh, see some uh, Evan Williams single barrel on the shelf and thought I would you know, just see what dates are on the back. This thing I happen to find is both bottled and barreled on my birthday, 117. Now, I tell you what, sunshine someday. <laughs> Everything's coming up, Millhouse. <laughs> Everyone, my name is John Edwards, and with me is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. How are you, Zeke Baker? It's like our Christmas for Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Father's Day. It's our Christmas, it's our New Year's, it's our Flag Day, our 4th of July, Valentine's Day, and Easter all rolled into one. I mean, the only thing missing is our kids finally being old enough to where, um, you know, we could peace out and like have a dad drinking bourbon Father Day golf tourney or something. I know we are still working on two rounds of golf between Zeke and I together since our kids were born four years ago. (laughs) Five. Anyways, I don't want to waste any time because we have two amazing guests. I don't know how we got these guests. We are very, very, very lucky. I wish we were in person with them, but given everything, we are virtual. So we are going to take them as we get them. We have Kate Latz and Max Shapira from Heaven Hill. How are you both today? We're great. We're all great. We're anxious to chat with you. You know, you were talking about every day and whatever. All we can say is bourbon makes every day a little bit better, and it's even a little bit better when it's Elijah Craig. So that's the way we put it. How are you, Kate? I'm great. I want to know what Zeke has in his glass. I've got four, actually, um, just for the sake of diversity. I have the aforementioned 
Evan Williams single barrel. I've got a current, just Elijah Craig small batch off the shelf. I grab at the same time. And then I also have two products you all were generous enough to send us. The newly released Elijah Craig rye and the first batch from January of Elijah Craig barrel proof. I was hiding it down, but I have the rye right here. I have the small batch right here, and I went a little bit off topic, but I have the Parker's Heritage Barrel Strength when when I need to refill, because Zeke and I do not record any shows without whiskey. It's just a, a prerequisite. Of course. And you know what they're saying these days, that the best way to keep from touching your face is to have two glasses of bourbon, one in each hand. I like this idea. I've got to redo some things now. It keeps me out of trouble. That's all I have to say. I know uh, we all have a lot going on. Do you guys have anything in your glass today? No, not I've got I a little nothing, water. Nothing here. It's been a total work day for us. I noticed one thing. But they said uh, that you said which bourbons you have. And I noticed you didn't say the Elijah Craig 18-year-old. But, you know, this is a tough business when it comes to planning 18 years ahead. And we just did do that great a job along the way. So I know why they didn't send you a bottle. Well, you know, Nashville is really tough. The market down here, there's a lot of stores and a lot of sophisticated clientele that know to go in looking for Elijah Craig 18. We can't get it. I mean, we're just lucky to get some small batch barrel picks. So we're kind of stuck there. Well, it really is. I mean, it's a tough thing. I mean, if you want to talk about this, we can have a lot of interesting chat. But what we're trying to do, and just think about the difficulty, it's hard enough to plan in any business three months or six months or a year. You hear businesses with three-year plans. We have multi-decade plans. And even then, they're not right, as you might imagine. And that's what happens when you're trying to plan your whiskey stocks today for something the consumer may want in 5 or 10 or 15 or in Elijah Craig, 18-year-old, 18 years from now. That's one unbelievable challenge everybody in our industry has. And I don't care how many computers you've got. I don't care how many spreadsheets you do. At the end of the day, if prediction for what you need comes out accurately years from now, it's not that you were so good. It's just you were darn lucky. (laughs) I can tell you that. If you think about you guys as a distillery, I mean, a lot of the stuff, Elijah Craig 18, and then even some of the products that you have that are in the 20-year age, it was before the bourbon boom that you essentially laid these barrels down. And then you're now waiting, going like, oh man, everybody wants bourbon. Max, as you were saying, you're, you're trying to predict that. Who could have predicted what would have happened kind of around 2010? I know when I was at school at the University of Kentucky, everything was on the shelf. We could go get anything we wanted, and now it is just not the case. Or probably like $15.99, $19.99, right? You never had to pay over 50 bucks for something really, really, really good. No one would have ever thought that. In fact, 10 years ago, or certainly 15 years ago, people would have been thinking, is bourbon ever going to be a reviable, really viable, interesting product again? It may be a bit longer than that, but somewhere in the last 15 years is when the industry really started to turn around. Before that, it was like, who knew? 
whether the bourbon industry was ever going to survive. And I've, I've said a million different times, the analysts were out there from Wall Street and various other consumer product goods companies uh, trying to make uh, predictions for what people were going to drink and eat and whatever. And they were ready to consign the bourbon industry to that great liquor store in the sky. And I'm just telling you, that's really what it was. It wasn't that great a picture 15 or 20 years ago. I can tell you that. Well, and I'm going to say this and then I'll back up because I, I feel like we've gone to a really interesting place right away. But I mean, since 2010, you guys have put over a hundred million dollars into the distillery. I mean, you've done warehouse construction, you're completely redoing the bourbon heritage center which i always love that big round bar that's one of my favorite things about going up to bardstown and and i always make sure to hit you guys up go nice stop over to Willet, and then come back over to you guys again check the gift shop just twice because never know what you guys are going to put out from the morning to the afternoon and you guys are really investing into your distillery and and 15 years ago that might not seem like a winning proposition you know you've kind of prepared to even get here but you have to prepare 18 21 27 years down the line now absolutely yeah and again that's one of the biggest challenges that's probably the most difficult uh, piece of operating our business because Huge investments. I don't have to tell you that. You already mentioned a number. It's extraordinary how much planning it takes. And you almost go into it knowing you're not going to be right. How about that for a business plan? One of the things I think that's enabled Heaven Hill to be so on top of the trend and the amazing dynamic in the bourbon world that we're in has been that it's always been at the heart and soul of our company for 85 years. And really for the first 35 years, we were exclusively an American whiskey company. And then during that time period between, you know, call it 1970, 1975 and and 2000, really, that's that time period that my dad was talking about that Heaven Hill, along with the rest of the industry, really started diversifying. And so while we were focusing on lots of other things in our portfolio, bourbon And all American whiskey remained at the heart and soul and passion of what we did every day. So while it maybe wasn't what everyone else was doing, we were already thinking about creating and thinking about bourbon tourism. And we were one of the very first people to be on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail with the opening of the Bourbon Heritage Center about 15 years ago. So we were right there and we've never backed off. We've always been increasing our whiskey production and putting down the infrastructure and the resources we need to do that. So it enabled us, while maybe at the time, others outside of Heaven Hill might have been like, what are they doing? Why are they continuing to do all that? It was always our heart and soul. So we always wanted to innovate and spend a lot of time and energy there. And it enabled us to be where we are today in the industry. Which is crazy. I mean, you guys are the second largest holder of bourbon whiskey inventory in the world. Bernheim probably puts out more whiskey than any other place in the U.S. on a on a given day. In the world. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout all of that, it is Father's Day. We are talking about Father's Day relationships and, and Kate, you and Max, your relationship working together. But throughout all of that, you have been the largest independent family-owned and operated producer. How have you been able to take all of that stress? I mean, if you think about what you guys are doing and the sheer volume and number of brands and everything you have to keep going in your head. How have you guys been able to do that as a family? Here's the deal. The company was founded back in 1935 by my dad and his brothers, right in the heart of the uh, the depression. 
And there were a lot of ups and downs, and I could go through that, but we'd be here for about an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two and a half hours <laughs> to do that. But along the way, the challenges that you met, the uh, problems that you endured have been so far outweighed by an industry and by a business that really is built on providing great products to enhance consumers' enjoyment of life. That's a terrific business to be in. We get it that there are certain things that we're dealing with a unique, unusual product that has to have some guidelines in the way we not only consume it, the way we sell it and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's all about sociability with our consumers. It's all about being with friends, celebrating occasions. That's a great thing. That's a great business to be in. And as far as the stresses, you know, I'll tell you, I've been doing this for a very long time. 50 years, to be precise. <laughs> anyway, a long period of time. To me, my favorite day at the office is like on Saturday morning. And my wife will say, what are you going to the office on Saturday? I said, I, said, I don't have to go. I don't have to probably go on Monday and Tuesday, but I love going. It's just a great business to be in. And that's really what it's all about. For us, when you talk about a 24-7 kind of activity, that's what this is. I grew up hearing whiskey talk at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And today, is, you can actually run into the same thing, where we'll have whiskey talk at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, by a pool on a Saturday afternoon, at a family dinner some night. It's an all-encompassing thing. And I don't know if any one of us would ever say that we've worked a day in our life because this is not something where you say, oh, I've got to go to the office today and do some work. It's like I go to the office today to find something new, different, unusual, out of the ordinary. And generally speaking, there's hardly a day that goes by when I don't uh, say something like, I've never heard of it. I've been doing this again for a long time. Kate mentioned the number. <laughs> but I don't hardly ever go to the office and, and almost every day I'll say something like, I've never heard of that before. That's new to me. That's something that is out of the ordinary. Why is that happening? There's always something interesting, exciting, new, different, unusual, out of the ordinary that ultimately enhances the enjoyment of life for consumers all around the world. Really, it's, it's great. I don't know whether Kate feels the same way about it as I do, but it's it's just, it's what keeps you going. Well, absolutely, John. I think the heart of your question was, you know, how do we manage all this stress and within the family and working together and living together and, and all of that? You know, I always have said my whole life that growing up in a family business is an unbelievably unique and terrific paradigm that you can't explain if you don't grow up in a family business for a lot of those reasons my dad was talking about that, you know, the notion that you've never worked a day in your life. And it is so intertwined with the pride you have of what you're doing and the legacy you're leaving for your whole family really is such a motivating factor. It's amazing how we can be, you know, in debate, in disagreement with something in the office, and then we leave the office and it's like that never happened. And then we can pick it back up and I can't explain it. There's not a top 10 list of things, you know, advice to people in a family business that make sure when you get in your garage, you do this, or when you leave your office, leave this there. It just happens. I think it's the power of family and it's the power of commitment to your work and knowing that they're just integrally intertwined, but yet not. And I, it's hard to explain, but at least for the 19 years I've been doing this. And one thing we haven't talked about is my husband is also in the business and it's just something that not only works, but is super fun most days that is. 
and fulfilling and exciting and all other positive things that could come to mind. It really is. It's truly a family affair for you, Kate, because you get it every which way. The question I have for both of you, though, you know, your dad's one generation, Kate, you're the next generation. Was there any debate as to whether or not you would join the family business or not? Uh, Well, there wasn't debate because when I was 18 and I was leaving for college, I was pretty clear I was never going to be coming back to Kentucky. And it was not something that I envisioned for my future, even though I loved being part of growing up in a family business. It wasn't anything to do with the family business. I just was ready to spread my wings and go have new adventures and couldn't imagine grown up life, you know, and somewhere between then when I was 18. And I met my husband in my mid-20s and was finishing my MBA. And we went off to go after our MBAs to work at Procter & Gamble. Even before that, during business school, I knew I wanted to come back and work for Heaven Hill. And I can't tell you exactly what clicked, what it was. I think I fell in love with the idea of marketing and marketing behind consumer packaged goods and understanding consumer behavior and what makes the consumer pick up the bottle with the script font versus the bold font and the brown background versus the black background. And I thought to myself, well, what better place to do that than at Heaven Hill? That's what I want to do. Of course it is. And so I think through my studies and work experiences, that all just kind of clicked. But my dad, and he can chime in here, never wanted to put any pressure to come back to the business. So actually, my husband and I approached him about the concept. Well, that's not exactly true. At least the last part. We would always, you know, take we'd take family trips together and everybody would be talking about the business. And Kate would ask this question and Alan, her husband, would ask another question. But again, she's right about the part that I never wanted to make it sound like it was a familial duty to come back. I mean, after all, working for a family business is so different than working for either a publicly held company or just being part of a non-family owned business where you're an employee contributing to that particular business. But I never wanted to make it as something that you've got to come back. You've got to carry on the family tradition. You have to want to come back. You have to have that desire to understand what goes into the making of the culture of a family business. So I never really said, are you ever interested in coming back? And this went on for a number of years. They're at Procter & Gamble, having great careers there, doing quite well. And uh, ultimately, Kate was talking to my wife, Ellen, and said, you know, we've been here at Procter & Gamble for, I don't know whether it was eight years or nine years or 10 years, but they were there for a good while. And we're maybe thinking about maybe there's something else we might want to do or think about or a career path and all of this. Do you think dad really wants us to come back to the, uh, because he never says, would you like to come back? We have a place for you. So I got home one day after, uh, after being at the office and Ellen says, you know, I had a call from Kate and she says that they're thinking that maybe they'd want to come back. And so she sort of brokered the deal here. That's how it all came to pass. You know, I think it's really so wonderful to see and you get that nurturing feel, you know, when you see that in, you know, some of the major distilleries with both you guys, you know, you got Freddie coming up at Beam, Bruce coming back to Eddie and Jimmy, Drew at Willett. And it just adds such a sense of family and feeling and purpose to really just get that, you know, warm, fuzzy home feeling about these distilleries and the people that are running them and the business behind it. 
Uh, yeah, there's no question about that. You have family lines. I mean, originally, the entire industry was family-owned and operated companies. And that's, you know, over the course of the years, most of the companies have been acquired by basically foreign entities along the way, but still have retained a number of family members, particularly on the production side, making that whiskey, which is so unique, with recipes from various family members that have been handed down from generation to generation. Well, Max, I have a big question. Don't make it too hard a question. So my daughter's four, and I already don't do anything right and she's right and i'm wrong on everything does that ever stop and has that carried over to the workplace for you two at all constantly (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't get the word out of my mouth fast enough (laughs) but it seems right that she did it for you because i mean if if i i get told that if i put like the towel in the wrong spot. If I sing in the car, I'm doing wrong. But then if I'm not singing in the car, I'm doing wrong. I can only sing when guys sing. I can't sing when the girls sing. And like, just whatever it is, this four-year-old tells me how to live my life. I don't know if it gets quite into that kind of detail, but the premise is still there. John had a birthday recently and she took over the birthday. She said, no, it's not your birthday. It's mine. Yeah, she got mad because it wasn't her birthday and it wasn't allowed to be my birthday. Sometimes he chews a little too loudly. And when I was a kid, he definitely sang all the wrong songs, for sure. (laughs) Tortured with um, country music when we were kids, for sure. (laughs) So is that carried over? I mean, what, what kind of stories do you guys have working with each other now that you've both grown up a little bit more than when uh, he was just chewing loudly and singing? Well, it's, an, it's sort of an interesting thing. The first job that Kate had was in the early days of giving coupon redemptions for individuals buying bottles of whiskey. In those days, they would mail in the rebates and they had to be processed or whatever. Here's Kate doing this on the rug on our living room floor, separating the coupons, making sure that they were done right, processing them, doing all those kinds of things. That was a long time ago. You know, over the course of the years, everybody was indoctrinated of quintessentially family business with whiskey talk all the time. We'd be on family trips. We'd be approaching this particular city. I'd say, we need to stop here and see our distributor just to say hello. Or we'd see this retail store. And we said, oh, let's go in here and see what's going on in this retail store. So those are the kinds of things that from the very earliest days, everybody knew about, thought about, experienced. And it was all done in a fun sort of way. That just sort of all becomes part of your DNA along the way. Totally agree. In addition to the trips and and time spent waiting in the waiting room while my dad had a meeting and us maybe complaining a little that we were bored and we didn't have iPads back then, right? There was also the going into the liquor store and learning at a young age how to bring the bottles forward so it looked like it was a perfect billboard effect on the shelf. And you better believe that my daughter, who's now 17. She's passed us along to another generation now. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't even have to tell her to do it. We'll be in the liquor store and she'll be like, oh, mom, look at this gap. And she'll be pulling it forward. And so, yeah, it is all part of, you know, everyone's childhood is unique to whatever there is, is a parent or president and family dynamic. And ours very much, our whole life was about being in this amazing industry of a, in, in family business. I didn't think I used to joke because I never realized it was a thing until not that long ago. Our water glasses and milk glasses growing up 
or Heaven Hill highball glasses. <laughs> like we didn't have any other glasses in our house. We got them from wherever and those were our drinking vessels. My daughter really likes this tie-dye rubber cup. Kind of cringe when people come over because it's from a distillery. And I'm like, sorry, I'm not like giving my four-year-old distillery cups, but they just so happen to be there. Yep. I find it funny that you, Kate, have kind of gone the marketing route, and I know that's kind of your background. Did you ever think about more of the distilling side and kind of what goes into the barrel, or was it purely the marketing side you were drawn to? I wouldn't say I was ever too interested of working on the distilling side. I think the la- I haven't taken a science class since high school, so that's probably not where my strengths are. My science skills did probably peak in not just the seventh, but also eighth grade where I did distillation projects for my science fair projects. One year, I just showed the distillation process. We brought home the little still from the lab in in Bardstown and I made corn whiskey, so to speak, moonshine, I suppose. And then the next year, I did an even more elaborate experiment where I studied which grain produced the most alcohol, corn, potatoes, or rice. That was the extent and peak of my distilling experience. So during the uh, the early science fairs, all the students probably envied you because you were uh, levels ahead of them. And then I'm sure in a few years, uh, once high school rolled around, they were all trying to be your best friend. And uh, uh-huh. what can you bring on a Friday or Saturday night? Because uh, you, you've probably got something there at the house or have access to, right? Yep, something like that, for sure. <laughs> we're going to have a field party. Don't tell your dad. Bring a yeah. case of something. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't tell me now that that existed. Please, please, please. <laughs> we know what's going on in Kentucky. Come on. I graduated from there, Max. It wasn't just in Kentucky. When I went to college in North Carolina, there was many a fraternity party that were, quote, sponsored by um, various Heaven Hill products, for sure. <laughs> Max, you're learning something new every day. Yeah. Some of the times you don't even want to know what you learn. <laughs> I'm sure everybody was very, you know, thankful for the sponsorship, though. Right, right. Well, I wouldn't know that we were sponsoring it. I would just happen upon it and be like, oh, guess we're um, or not necessarily sponsoring it, but um, fulfilling our mission for sure. Max, you know what she was doing is she was making lifelong Heaven Hill fans. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. She was just laying down the foundations for the business before she even knew it. Right. It cemented that she wanted to go into the marketing side of the business. (laughs) kate i find it interesting then on the marketing side of things because elijah craig just went through a couple years ago it got some new clothes i think for some of us there's a nostalgia factor for those elijah craig barrel proof squat bottles it's more minimalistic i like the see-through bottle because the other label was a paper label that went across the whole front i have to think that you had a big thing to do with that what do you kind of think of as you're going through a whole brand change like that First of all, I have an awesome team of people who work for me, so I had less to do with it than you might think, and I certainly want to make sure that the entire Elijah Craig and entire American Whiskey team at Heaven Hill gets all the credit. You know, it always starts with the consumer. Everything we do starts with the consumer and what that consumer insight is and how they think about one product over the next. And then translating those insights into how we can present our brands, how our brands can show up, whether it be on the shelf at a retail store, beyond the back bar. 
so that we can meet those consumer needs and bring them the best experience that they can have. And as you said, you know, it had a bit of a of a more elegant flair to it. And, you know, in the, the bourbon category, there's this real straddling of the consumer wanting to have those cues of authenticity and tradition, but in a more modern sort of way. And we really looked to evolve the package with those two things in mind. And felt great that we did that with the paper label at the bottom with the craftsmanship cues there, but with the sleeker bottle and painted on decoration, we felt we achieved that perfect balance. Well, what she didn't tell you is the inside story. She made it sound like, oh, this is going to be a sophisticated, well-consumer researched. It should be easy to do. Well, you can do all of those things. But she was radically at the time redesigning a bottle that someone had designed initially that had actually brought it out of hibernation. It's something that had been nurtured for a long time by Heaven Hill. And the person who actually had designed the label, who had designed the bottle, who thought of the idea that this was a great brand name to utilize, was the name of Max Shapira. So this was like, this was something like taking a bone away from a bulldog. (laughs) I don't know whether you use the word a bit of controversy. There were lots of discussions. It wasn't quite as fast as the way I just told the story. Let's just say that. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, iterations of how we got from the original bottle and the original label to where we are today. Ultimately, the right thing to do. Ultimately, the brand's done fantastically well, a very high quality product. It represents everything that we can do in really making a fine whiskey. So it was the right thing to do. But along the way, just like I said, it was like taking a bone away from a bulldog. I can imagine it, um, you know, from the consumer side, I will say, and, and myself included, especially with the um, the various Elijah Craig barrel proof releases, there, there was a lot of pushback to begin with, if nothing else you know, folks would just claim it tasted different or, or not, you know, as good as some of those the squat bottles were. But then we kind of put that to the test and, and, you know, lined up various releases from both bottlings and blind tastings. You know, damned if the newer, taller ones didn't seem to rank easily as high, if not higher than some of those older ones that we, we would swear were, you know, worth three times in value. It's sometimes it's in the minds of the consumers and the consumers are really not today consumers are really knowledgeable and they want to know today how products are made what kind of grains do you use where do they come from and all those other elements we try to be as open as transparent as we possibly can uh, of course we produce all the whiskeys that we sell and a multiplicity of different types of uh, whiskeys as well but that's just the way we are and we have a unique method of producing our whiskey. We call it the continuity method of production. And that is that we have entered whiskey since our, since we were founded in 1935. We've entered whiskey into a warehouse, one of our warehouses, every month of every year since we began production in 1935, with the exception of World War II when we were closed to make alcohol for the war effort. That's really an extraordinary thing. It gives a vast, long continuity a product that is consistent in taste and style, aroma. That's just the way we operate. It's one, it's one of the tenets and hallmarks of how we operate today. It's been carried through for really almost 85 years now. Another question on that line I had also circling back to the older whiskeys, you know, especially in the, um, you know, the Elijah Craig lines for both the small batch and the barrel proof. I, I know the age statement 
you know, went away and, and folks worried about that. But I think that question has already been resolved. But just for general knowledge, what range of ages goes into those Elijah Craig small batches and Elijah Craig barrel proof small batches? In the Elijah Craig small batch, there's whiskeys ranging from eight years old up to and including 12 years of age. Well, and I just want to say I got up for a second, admittedly, all you people listening, but I think Kate is going to appreciate this. So I, oh my. this, it's a rear age stated 12, but this is, I've been holding on to this for a while. I do love this, but what I will say about Elijah Craig's small batch, and this is one of the newer ones. What I really appreciate about the change in, in the bottling, and Max, this is going to make you feel a little bit better. I'm satisfied today. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a great place today. Good, good. I've given up the bone. There are not enough really good daily drinkers at 30 bucks, and I think you guys are in a great place where you have so many different offerings that you can have some really good bourbons that are not breaking the bank. And you can also have your more upscale, your Parker's Heritage Collection, your Heaven Hill 27. You can do other things, you know, your special Evan Williams ones that you can only get at the distillery in Louisville. There's some cool things that you can do, though, with a really good daily drinker $30 whiskey that you have dressed up to at least make the consumer feel like they're getting something that costs more than $30. And that's what I think the packaging does. And that's what I think the magic of marketing is. This is something when I'm working in the middle of the week, when I'm up late working on spreadsheets or something, I want to have a pour or two, but I don't want to feel it like I would with a high proof whiskey. That's where I reach for something like an Elijah Craig small batch, but it at least feels classy when I'm doing it. Sorry, that was not a question. No, no, that's that's spot on. And Zeke, to to finish answering your question, the barrel strength is twelve years old. Yeah, I, I knew the uh, the age statement moved to the side. I just wondered for um, you know speculation purposes, uh, it, somewhat older barrels happen to get dumped in there from time to time. You, you know, we consumers we we crave that knowledge. Well, absolutely. On on small batch, there are 12-year-old barrels that go into the batch of regular small batch Elijah Craig. Gotcha. Zeke's getting all serious on Father's Day. (laughs) Something else I kind of want to talk. I mean, it is Father's Day. Elijah Craig was the father of bourbon. You guys have been awesome about finding stories that are out there or brands that are out there that are heritage brands and bringing them to the forefront. What made you, Max, kind of take on Elijah Craig as your baby? I guess throughout our company's history, but most particularly since the probably middle 60s on to today, through a series of uh, acquisitions, you know, we go all the way back to 1935 in any event, that we have uh, what I would call a, a library of names that are quite iconic in the industry, several of which we have in our library. They're sold in a few parts of the country today and others along the way that we have developed. And just think about it. And and I'll get to Elijah Craig in a minute. But we have an old, old name in the industry, Henry McKenna. I mean, that's a fantastic whiskey. It's a 10-year-old bottled and bond, very rare, very unusual whiskey style. It won several awards as Whiskey of the Year, not just in the United States, but a worldwide award. I know. Do you have any? Can you can you put aside a case? Right. The answer to that I'm going to say is no, no, a thousand times no. <laughs> but it was a nice try. 
I mean, when we first started this, Max, I got to tell you that I would always put McKenna on my list of best bourbon under 30 bucks. I mean, when we started back in 2016, I would always tell people around Christmas, go buy yourself a few McKenna's. Then you guys go and win San Francisco World Spirits competition, and now I can't find it anywhere. I'm sorry we've been so successful. <laughs> but but that was one. That brand came to us in an acquisition. It was the tail end of an acquisition. It really wasn't even an important part of it. It was something that somebody said, we don't want it. We're just going to throw it in. And it sat on our yeah, it was always sold in a few sections of the country, but it basically sat in our portfolio for years and years without us doing anything. We repackaged it and did some other things to it, and there we have a brand. Elijah Craig comes in that same venue. We uh, acquired the brand along with some other things that we were doing at the time, and it sat on our shelf as a brand name that we had for a number of years. But we said, goodness. This represents everything in the real history of this industry. It's not some made-up name. It's it's a real walking, talking, living, breathing, iconic person from this part of the country who was a distiller himself with a, like I said, a terrific history. And we said this probably could make a really good bourbon as long as we nurture it along the way, as long as we don't introduce it too fast, and as long as we actually have the whiskey of the style that we need to be able to introduce it properly. So it was, again, on the shelf in our library, if you want to call it that, and we brought it to life. I bet you we have three, four, five other brands, if not more, in that same category that we just haven't gotten around to developing and reintroducing them to the marketplace in a more aggressive way. And a lot of that depends upon the stocks of whiskey that you have, and you've got to have enough stocks of whiskey to be able to adequately support a brand that you put into the market. And well, help me out uh, a little bit here, because my goal with this podcast is really just to educate Zeke. That's what I've been doing for four years. So tell him a little bit about Elijah Craig and who he was before Zeke has a question, because I know he wants to jump in there. Okay. The Craig family came over here in the early 1700s, settled in the central part of Kentucky. The town is now called Georgetown, Kentucky. And Elijah came along and was a really well-known figure in the middle to late 1700s. He had a large, for that time, paper mill in the area. He handled lots of wood in making the paper and things such as that. He was also a Baptist preacher, I guess had his own congregation, and along with another number of other things that he did in the town of Georgetown, one of which was to be a distiller. And he had a distillery that was built in the area around Georgetown, began distilling whiskey. And according to historians and according to, I guess, a bit of historians and legend, etc., he was the first person to use a have a barrel that was charred on the inside, making for what was ultimately incorporated into the standards of identity for bourbon whiskey, which, as you know, has to be made with at least 51% corn in the formula, a minimum, and it has to be aged in a charred white oak barrel. He was the first to do this, according to, as I said, historians and legend. And uh, we just thought the whole unique story of someone basically starting an industry whose standards were incorporated in the way whiskey is made today 
would make a great story for the consumer as long as the whiskey tasted great. That's sort of the genesis of who Elijah Craig was and how we actually brought the name back to life. A great story indeed. And uh, I'll remind John, I have plenty of those uh, older Big Red 12 uh, Elijah Craigs that I'm quite fond of as well. My simple uh, comment reverting back to where you mentioned um, some other brands that that may not be at the forefront. Let, let's just leave those there for a little while. There's at least one particular label. It starts with a V. It's really good juice and it's not expensive by any means. And I, I like it that way. I, I've got friends that aren't far away and they can bring me a case when I need it. And to anyone listening to this, kudos to you. You can figure it out, but let's not tell the rest of the people right now, at least. Zeke, you could share some with me every once in a while. No. <laughs> That's a great story, and I know you guys have a lot in your arsenal. We've talked about you guys just have a new Elijah Craig rye. You have the Elijah Craig barrel proof. You have the old Big Red 12s. You have the small batch now. Max, just be 100% honest. This has been your baby at, at Heaven Hill. What's your favorite offering from Elijah Craig? Well, well, <laughs> that is a hard. Let me tell you, that is a hard question. And I get that uh, asked a lot, not just about Elijah Craig, but what would be my favorite brand of all the stable that we have. But we'll just talk about Elijah Craig for the moment. And it just varies. It varies sort of the, where you are, what kind of occasion, what season of the year, how you want to drink the product. But if I had it to say day in and day out, I would go with the small batch, the regular small batch. It's just a great tasty whiskey. It has fantastic aroma. You can taste and smell the sugary sweetness that the whiskey picks up out of the barrel. Me, I like either on the rocks or with the tiniest splash of ginger ale. That's two really great ways. Not fill it up with ginger ale, but with just a tiny splash to give it an extra little flavor. The ginger really adds some pop to it. I mean, in a nutshell, uh, that would be what my go-to Elijah Craig whiskey and how I would drink it. What about you, Kate? What's your favorite Elijah Craig? Well, my favorite way to drink Elijah Craig, two ways. One is an old-fashioned. How can you go wrong with an old-fashioned? A little bit of a sweeter palate for me, for sure. And we have an amazing recipe that we love. Little, Super simple, little simple syrup, Angostura bitters, or Elijah Craig, and you are, and of course, the, the the zest of that orange, and you're good to go. But my other favorite way to drink Elijah Craig is as a gold rush. And another brand in our portfolio that's near and dear to my heart is Domaine de Canton Ginger Liqueur. You got to find a bartender that makes it just right. But when it's just right, it's so good. Elijah Craig, Domaine de Canton, a little bit of lemon juice, and you are good to go. And it is it, it, it's a topper to my dad's Elijah Craig and ginger ale. This is this is the sophisticated version of that cocktail. All right, you've, you've got to spell that liqueur out. <laughs> yeah, my, well, my ears work, but I promise sure. I'm not that well, intelligent. It's three words: domain, like the house. It's okay. French. Um, de de, and then Canton, C A N T O N. It's a gorgeous bottle. Looks like kind of a bamboo lantern. That's my fave. And if we're going for the gusto of something straight, that 18-year-old, it's always the crowd favorite. It's always. <laughs> Inevitably. <laughs> Inevitably, yeah. Um, another question I had, too, especially as we've had you know, some various 
Elijah Craig single barrel picks, uh, you know, over the years that definitely vary in flavor. And I know you guys have some different locations for Rick Houses as well as styles like Dietzville and whatnot. How many different profiles do you really seem to be able to identify across those various Ricks that I'm, I'm sure make blending fun and, and easier, but if you're looking at it from a single barrel perspective, have you really you know, kind of pinpointed, well, barrels here do this, here do that? You can get, for a full barrel program, our Elijah full barrel program, you can just get, look, each one of those barrels tastes slightly different. That's just the way it is. They're not put together in a big storage tank of of 100 barrels or 150 barrels at a time. It's each barrel has its own unique taste profile. That's what makes them so interesting. And that's what so appeals to the consumers. And you can find a barrel in many of our warehouses. I want to say we have, we've got 55 or 60 warehouses. I'm at least that, at least that many we're building, we're building more as we, as we sit here speaking, I can assure you that almost all of our warehouses, they vary in size, but they're all basically the same style, all traditional open rick, non-heated warehouses where Mother Nature does all of the aging process. We have them located in ways where we have wind that circulates through the warehouses. We open and close the windows at certain times of the year so we can get the proper circulation. But within each of those warehouses, it could be a warehouse at one of the facilities out by our major plant. It's the largest single site with the largest number of warehouses, some dating back to the really the early 40s. And you can find great single barrels in those warehouses. The Deetsville location built in a slightly different way, but still that traditional open Rick warehouse, you can find some great barrels in that as well. And then we have a couple of other sites the same way. Again, open Rick, and you can find a good barrel for a single barrel in all of those. So it's it's not really relegated to a warehouse here or a warehouse there or a warehouse somewhere else. So basically that was Zeke's opportunity to get the inside info. And then he was going to ask, do you two want to pick a barrel with us sometime? I mean, we'll let you sell it at the gift shop. We don't need to take it home. We just want to pick a barrel with you two. If you come out, we'll try to figure out how to do it. But I will tell you something. I think I can speak for Kate, but she can jump in on this. That's one unbelievably difficult thing. My taste buds are not that great. You might think, well, here's somebody steeped in the industry. His father founded, his father's brothers founded the company. But I don't know that anyone in our family actually has the taste buds to be a tester that knows, ah, this is an extra aged bourbon. And it probably came from an upper level in one of our warehouses somewhere. I don't have that expertise. And I've tried to do it over the years. I remember when I was uh, much younger. I was trying to learn that process. Total failure. Just total failure. That's well, it. You're, you're selling yourself short. We have, lots, we have lots of people. We have tasting panels who are such experts. It's beyond amazing what they are able to do and understanding the nuances of every little style and taste and difference in these whiskey products. Well, heck, Max, Parker did everything with his nose, so it doesn't matter. It's either good or it's not. That's all you got to know. Not that good either, so forget it. Parker was always famous for saying you just know good bourbon. Um, In spite of all the 
the notes and characteristics that many people, sophisticated or not, um, like to believe that they glean toasted this and marshmallow and chocolate and caramel and butterscotch and chestnut and every other thing. But Parker always knew. You just knew what was good. I know we've been going along for a very, very long time. And I just want to thank both of you. You know, it is Father's Day. Elijah Craig is the father of bourbon. I can't think of a better gift to give somebody. I've always loved it that you guys do this thing where you can make a custom label for somebody to give it as a gift for Father's Day. So thank you guys for that. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. I can't wait till we get up there and get to do it in person. Is there anything you guys want to spill the beans on each other before we get you both off? One last thing, as we certainly salute Elijah Craig as the father of bourbon on this Father's Day, we have a little tease of something that's to his memory, something special coming out from Elijah Craig. Let's just say a toast to him that will be coming out later this year something to look forward to well i will definitely be looking forward to that later this year but right now i'm looking forward to father's day how about you we look forward to father's day especially a father's day to that guy max Shapira, on this call as well happy father's day happy father's day everyone everybody go out and find elijah craig at elijahcraig.com they have recipes all sorts of good stuff on there learn more about elijah craig the man and the brand follow them on social elijah craig on instagram elijah craig on facebook visit the bourbon heritage center in bardstown kentucky and find out more about elijah craig and their parent company heaven hill Kate and Max, thank you again. It was so good spending time with you. The folks can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Please leave us an open and honest review like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Well, I was going to say you should plug in the thing where they can sign up to be members to where they can like sign up for the custom labels, get the monthly emails that like show the video clips they do and all that other stuff. Because I mean, like it's the most informative for me distillery, but you kind of put me at the end of this. It's okay. They also do an awesome podcast. Stay tuned for more of the podcast coming later this year as well. And you can no, have us on. They're great. Like the uh, the PHC thing where it showed the char, the stuff before that. I mean, honestly, I've watched them all. Like they, they're informative and, and much more educational than just promotional. Like people appreciate them, I think. Definitely. And we have to mention that Heaven Hill has the biggest secret weapon in all of whiskey in Bernie Lovers. Oh, great guy. Bernie's been doing a great job um, during the pandemic as well, bringing lots of good bourbon cheer to his fans and Heaven Hill um, devotees around the world. So thank you to Bernie for that too. He's been playing lots of music. It's been great. Cheers, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you so much. See, John, great to be with you. Thank you all. We look forward to seeing you soon. 